Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week four is in the books. How are you doing? Did you get to watch some of these games? All of them. them. Every one. And there were a lot of them. (laughs) Some of them. That's that's good enough. That'll work. (laughs) No different than usual, Joey. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Well, I can understand how uh, you know your your weekend didn't get off to the best start in terms of uh, football Josh. watching, but we will uh, we will get there. Uh, Mike, as I mentioned, week four in the books, and I have to tell you, so is uh, so is one Jeff Collins tenure at Georgia Tech. It would sound like. Should we start there? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Going to really try not to get a DMCA violation on this. But, uh, yeah, um, Mike, it is Sunday evening here, uh, a little bit before 11 o'clock on the East Coast. We found out from multiple multiple outlets earlier this evening reporting that Jeff Collins is no longer head coach at Georgia Tech. Uh, he has been removed, and there is some question about the future of AD Todd Stansberry as well. Um, so... Don't know where those, you know, where that's going to end up necessarily. I, we haven't gotten an official release, but for all intents and purposes, it seems like Jeff Collins' tenure is done at Georgia Tech. the um, The idea right now is that Brent Key will take over as uh, the interim head coach. He's been your offensive line coach, of course. Not that that has really been a uh, a booning successful yeah, role, but yeah, uh, <laughs> but you know, he's a a Tech man. Uh, he played at Georgia Tech, so. I guess you know he'll get those honors, um, but at the end of the day, it's just it's nice knowing that it's done and we're going to be moving on to something else. Although you know what comes of the coaching search next is always a uh, it, it turns into a little bit of a crapshoot for the to say the very Back least. To Paul Johnson, <laughs> I, look, couldn't be worse. It couldn't be worse than Collins. It went poorly. It went. It poorly. did. It did. What do you think was the single biggest reason why it went as poorly as it did? I mean, a single biggest reason. I, I mean, I, I go back. We talked about this recently, you know, on a couple of occasions. But like, I do feel like he he badly miscalculated bringing a, an entirely G five staff into a P five job, and thinking that they would be able to coach players, you know, as efficiently and uh, scheme as well as some of the guys that they were going to go up against. And I mean, that just didn't work at all. Like again, almost nobody on this staff when he first started at Georgia tech and for the first three full years, they didn't make any changes. Like none of those guys had prior P five experience for the most part. And I think that was one of the big things that really just kind of cooked him in a lot of ways, a lot of parallels between Collins at Georgia tech and Justin Fuente, Virginia tech in that regard, just not a lot of coordinators of P five experience. I mean, he inherited Bud Foster, but outside of that, like Fuente did not have a lot of guys on his coaching staff with P five experience. And they stuck with them for too long. Babcock didn't make him fire anybody. Mm -hmm. 
I, really, I, it was kind of a similar thing at Georgia Tech, where it basically took until last offseason for Todd Stansbury to say, look, you got to overhaul some of your coaching staff. Collins did that. It just, you know, through four games has not worked out. Yep, yep. He made, and, and I think a lot of it, it, it doesn't really help either, that he, when he came in, he kind of talked a big game about all the things they were going to do and how well they were going to do it how much they were going to emphasize special teams. And it was like the more that he talked about how important something was or how hard they were going to work on something, the worse that thing ended up being right. on the field. I mean, if I had to point to one moment, really, I, I think the moment in the game, and, and once again, by the way, Georgia Tech uh, loses to UCF 27-10 to 10 on Saturday, and that's kind of the, the impetus for this whole thing. But the, the moment in that game where I said Jeff Collins is going to get fired is when they had another punt yeah. blocked. That is a fourth, the fourth punt that they have had blocked, and we are still in the month of September, Mike, and that's in three separate games. And it's this is not complicated. This is not hard stuff. You know, again, it's not like um, you, you know you called a bad play at, at a certain point in the game or something like that. No, no, no. This is just the basic, basic special team stuff of do you know who to block? And they just don't. They can't get set up. They can't protect it right. And or they're not coaching the punter to get rid of the ball because <laughs> that's part of it too. By the way, is he just holds onto the ball right. forever? But it's like when you when you have this thing that is repeatedly happening that is is should be relatively easy to fix. And not to mention, Jeff Collins has said he specifically coaches the punt unit himself, mm. himself. And and this is what you're getting from it. It's like I don't know what else you need to see. Like. It is just the the epitome of poor coaching and something that we really didn't see get any better the whole time he's been there. Say some things are better left unsaid. Jeff Collins saying that he's the one who directly like interacts and coaches the punting unit. This is one of those times. Yep, yep. Yeah, so I you know, it's over at this point. Um I I do not expect that Brent Key will be able to win enough games to make it look like he should be hired as the full-time head coach. He's about the only one on this staff I could see uh, being worthy of that role. So otherwise I expect they'll go for an external hire. Um, it, it'll largely depend on what they do with the athletic director spot. I mean, I think they're going to fire Todd Stansberry probably tomorrow. Um, if, if not, they're going to make the decision tomorrow and then somehow that'll trickle out over the next couple of weeks or something like that. But you know, whoever gets to make that that next hire, I have no idea. There's some names that you're already starting to hear about. Bill O'Brien, um, as a former, I think he was a quarterbacks coach for like a year or two under George O'Leary back in like the late '90s, early Jimmy 2000s. Um, Excuse me, sorry. Jimmy yeah, yeah. And I, I think there are worse hires that you could make than Bill O'Brien, but like, I don't think that's the right hire by a long shot. Um, you're hearing the name Deion Sanders get thrown around, and I, I mean, I, I have a hard time believing that people at Georgia Tech are going to end up offering the job to Deion Sanders, and I also have a hard time believing that if they did, that he would say right. yes. So I, everyone wants to make that connection. I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. But you know, there will be other candidates that we'll get to here um, in the coming days and weeks. Um, a couple who are currently sitting head coaches, a couple who might not be, who might be available a little bit more immediately. Uh, we'll, we'll, again, hint, hint. But for now, Jeff Collins out at Georgia Tech. Jackets have eight games left on their schedule. They are one in three. They are almost certainly not going to make a bowl game, so this thing will mercifully come to an end around Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and, uh, and we'll move on. 
should be a nice two and ten season, probably. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's you know, I I I, I don't like to celebrate people you know losing their livelihoods, but when those livelihoods have been paying out three plus million dollars a year for the last few years, and he came with a seven. 10, I think it was a $10 million buyout check. I think he'll be okay. I think he'll be okay, Mike. Yeah. He's not going to lose his yeah. home. It's 10 or $11 million, so he'll be fine. His, yeah, his plenty, wife and daughter will still be able to plenty eat. Plenty of money. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, UCF 27, Georgia Tech 10. Honestly, this, is a, this game was, was winnable for Georgia Tech. Um, UCF does not look that good. Uh, they are a, a very flawed team in a lot of ways. John Reese Plumley, not a good passer. He goes eight for sixteen for forty nine yards and in a pick on the day. He looked terrible. The the pick that he threw was horrible. It was just like a YOLO ball that the the tech defender caught like a punt, basically. Like it, it wasn't even it wasn't even a challenge. Georgia Tech outplayed UCF, you know, down to down for a, a decent portion of this game, but just could not convert in the red zone. Um, just made uh, mental mistakes left and right at, at poor times, and it was way too much to overcome. So it was a game that I think if you look at advanced metrics, they had something like a 70% chance of winning this game based on what the stats said, and they lost it by three scores. Yep. And that's why you fire your head coach, Mike. Absolutely. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's the swan song, right? So, Yep. But anyways, that's my uh, that's my whole Jeff Collins thing for now. Uh, we we can keep moving. We, we're on a, a bit of a tight schedule here tonight, but um, at the end of the day, again, Collins is gone, and that's better than the alternate. So um, look forward to seeing kind of what the coaching search brings, and you know, curious to see how how things might change over the next few weeks as you get some new leadership, new voices in, and you know, you never know what what might change or how much more competitive they might look. It, certainly more competitive than whatever they're putting on the field right now. So. Mm-hmm. No, that's not a high bar to clear. Right. That's what I figured. Uh, let's keep moving. <laughs> the number five, Clemson Tigers, 51. The number one Wake Forest oh, – Sorry, hang on, sorry. Uh, I think Aaron Judge is coming up oh, to bat. Okay. Hold on, let's let's go see if he's going to hit a home run here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nope, he struck out again. Uh, yeah, Wake Forest, 45 uh, in double overtime. That was even better than um, the, the live <laughs> cut-ins during the action. <laughs> Gosh, Mike, this was like the, arguably the game of the day in college football. I'm sure there was another like really good one, but this one was so back and forth. It had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. I would have been slightly further from the edge of my seat if I didn't have action on this game, <laughs> but I did, and it didn't didn't go my Maybe way. But um, in any case, <laughs> in any case, what a game! Um, credit to Wake Forest. Yeah. I know there was a lot of talk last week in our preview. Um, there were some emails that we need to review uh, once again. But um, Wake Forest, I thought, acquitted themselves incredibly well in this game. They they arguably probably should have won it. Um, some of the some of the late game, like fourth quarter play calling and, and schemes, uh, I don't think really did them any favors in trying to win this game. But um, hats off to Wake for a great effort. And Mike, hats off to DJU. Yep. Big Cinco, by the way, looked awesome in yeah. this game. Yeah, I mean, this is arguably the second best game DJU has played in, you know, with the first being the Notre I, Dame, or was this the top? I mean, this could have been the, the best game he's played. I mean, I, I one of the one of the two, yeah. I was, gonna, I was definitely going to say, I mean, he hasn't looked anywhere near this good since leaving South Bend there two right. years ago. So, right. 
I mean, this is this was huge he for had him. 420 all-purpose yards, and I, I, before we start making jokes about, okay, how many of those came through the air? Uh, 371 of them came through the air, and he threw five touchdown passes. Joey. No picks. Joey, he looked good. He looked very mm-hmm. good. couple takeaways here on the Wake Forest side. Number one, their offensive line held up extremely well. Extraordinarily Way well this game. better than I expected. I was expecting more of kind mm-hmm. of what we saw a year ago where they were going to have a lot of trouble blocking Clemson's front seven. They actually didn't. <laughs> um, they they mm-hmm. were able to block Clemson's front seven. So that was that was a really important development in this game. Um, they ran the ball well enough, like Justice Allison, it, 21 carries, 73 yards. Like it doesn't look great in the stat book, right? It doesn't look all that efficient, but it was enough. Right, it was enough to keep Clemson's defense a little bit off balance. It's really all all you need because you got to keep Clemson from you know keeping their ears pinned back defensively with their front seven, really getting after Sam Hartman. And you know when they brought pressure, I thought Wake Forest's offensive line did a pretty good job overall. Um, the the play sequencing towards the end, right? So last drive of regulation, hated the Wake Forest play calling. Second overtime drive, hated the play calling by Wake Forest. I think that's you know, in a game where you're kind of splitting hairs and you're trying to, you know, overcome a, a really talented opponent, like, you've got to win those possessions. Every possession is extremely important. I think that's where, if you want to, like, nitpick, I think that's where you say kind of Wake Forest lost the game. But, I mean, give Clemson's defense credit on those two possessions for getting off the field because that's really the only spot where we could give Clemson's defense any credit in this game, Joey. Like, this was mm-hmm. the first game where I really thought they missed Brent Venables because it just didn't really seem like mm-hmm. there was a whole lot of adjustments being made in-game, which... It took a long time for them to make an yeah, adjustment. Um, they finally did. You, you pointed this out over text, and I'll let you kind of elaborate on it more here in a second. It took them really into overtime before they decided that they were going to get off a of man coverage and kind of play a shell defense, right, and, and kind of keep everything in front of them. Mm-hmm. They really hadn't done that all game until the overtime period, and that finally paid dividends for them. Well, certainly in the fourth quarter was I think when you started it. So when you started to see the the Wake Forest play calling shift into more of a run game, it I I don't know that that was Dave Clawson saying okay now it's time to run the ball. I think it was more him saying all right Clemson finally backed their secondary off and they're going to give their corners a little bit of help now that they've been torched for three quarters. So they're going to open up like the middle of the field a little bit and now we're going to be able to run the ball because we can't throw it into double coverage. We're going to turn it over right. Um, so I think that's what it was. I, I think Clemson fi- at the last minute and <laughs> mercifully, you know, if they hadn't changed their scheme up there defensively at the end of the game, I I don't know if they would have won this game. Um, but I don't know how much the play calling was really like a, a just a schematic change for Wake Forest versus kind of dictated by what Clemson was doing on defense. Um, so that's that's kind of where I think that was. Speaking of. I mean, Clemson, maybe it was scheme, maybe it was play calling, whatever, but I don't know, for for about three and a half quarters, their secondary had no answers whatsoever for Wake's receiving core. And again, credit to Wake, Sam Hartman got the ball down the field. He completed 20 passes for 337 yards and six touchdowns. And by the way, if you're saying, well, that's, you know, that's pretty good. That's kind of, that's... That's not like an unbelievable like world-beating game. Let's also keep in mind that Clemson was penalized 10 times for 120 yards in this game, and I think probably seven of those were defensive pass interference calls because their defensive backs were just tackling Wake receivers who had them beat like yep. a drum. 
that happened time and time and time again in this game. So the numbers would have looked even better for for Hartman. He probably would have thrown for like nine touchdowns in this game if if you weren't getting penalized. Constantly. We're exaggerating, but like um, seriously. And it was just mind-boggling watching this happen over and over and over again. And and at one point, I texted you that Wake had found the duck. Yeah. And I believe it was Nate Wiggins in the in a Clemson secondary just refused to get his head around, never saw the ball like the whole game, was just chasing receivers you know, with his head turned back. I don't know, man. I, it was like he the only pass he saw the entire game, I thought, was the very final ball of the game on fourth down and, and ball game, and, and he knocks that down on the one pass he gets his head around on. Otherwise, he just got torched day all, yeah, all day long. Either the receiver caught a pass or he got called for interference. Basically, rinse repeat. Mm-hmm. That's what continuously happened. Jamal Banks for Wake Forest, by the way. Six catches for 141 yards and ball two player. scores. Donovan Green, two catches for 53 yards. Both went for scores. Um, I... I can't I just absolute hats off to Wake Forest in that in that offense? Um, I thought they had a great game plan. They executed it really, really well. They they probably should have won this game in in, in so many ways, and, and it's kind of a shame for them that they didn't and couldn't get that monkey yeah, off their back. I'm with you. So, Clemson fifty one, Wake Forest forty five. Mike, anything else before we keep moving here? They have a big game, big game this this Saturday. College game day coming. We'll get into that in the preview. Big one. Oh, do we are we getting game day going to uh, to Tallahassee to see Wake and Florida State? <laughs> nope. No. Nope. The old game day switcheroo. <laughs> no, nah, it's going to Clemson and uh, when they play NC State. So that's the that's the interesting thing for me. I think is that both of these teams, after a double overtime, back and forth, you know, emotional game. Now you both have you know one of the biggest games left on your schedules with Clemson getting NC State and Wake Forest getting Florida State that'll i, I don't really know what to make of that whole aspect from a uh, handicapping standpoint but we'll get there yeah, on the preview for sure mhm uh the number 25 Miami Hurricanes played in a a game that can only be labeled as a football game Middle Tennessee 45 number 25 Miami 31 Woo-wee. Uh, you made Chase Cunningham look like, uh, I don't know, Baker Mayfield or take your pick of, of big-name quarterback here. Chase Cunningham finishes this game for Middle Tennessee, 16 for 25 for 408 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Middle Tennessee, just some of the numbers here are just absurd. Um, you had two receivers in DJ England Chisholm and Jalen Lane combined for six catches for 299 yards and two scores. Uh, <laughs> just absurd. Uh, Miami's defense got shredded in this game. They looked terrible. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke threw two interceptions, and I believe Jalen Knighton lost a fumble, all within Miami's first seven snaps of this game in the first and quarter. the thing is, too, Joey, like those three turnovers only amounted to 10 Middle Tennessee State points, which gives you an idea of just how bad Miami's defense was in this football game. Yeah, and that's that was my thought, and I I was kind of seeing the score as this was happening. I didn't really get to watch any of it until this morning, and I saw the three turnovers, and I was like, oh well, that's that explains how Middle got up to such a big lead. Nope. No, it was just like ten nothing, ten nothing. Which I mean, if you're Miami and you're turning the ball over like that early in the game, you can't be too too upset with only giving up ten points there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
there was some weird like weather stuff in this game. I think there was a delay for a little while with a like a lightning situation, and that also resulted in some weird camera stuff. Of ESPN only seemed like they had like two cameras available to them for the first quarter to maybe you know more more or less the first half of this game. But in any case, I mean. Miami just looked awful on, on both sides of the ball, really. Tyler Van Dyke gets benched at halftime for Jake Garcia. Oh, and by the way, Jake Garcia looked pretty good in the yeah. second half. That might quickly become a thing. Um, I, I find myself wondering, Tyler Van Dyke, I mean, as good as he looked last year and as underwhelming as he's looked this year, is this a Rhett Lashley versus Josh Gaddis mm-hmm. situation for him, or is there something yeah, else there? I know. That's the thought I was having. It's like, man, what has changed? Well, the coaching staffs have changed. So, mm-hmm. I mean, probably really misses Rhett Lashley. I mean, this isn't working. This is not working. Mm-mm. And um, Miami's offense, I mean, it has looked suspect through the early part of the season. We have talked about that on this podcast. We're like, what is Miami's offense doing exactly? And, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the defense was the bigger issue against Middle Tennessee, right? I mean, we can all agree there. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Tyler Van Dyke's early turnovers, inability to complete passes to open guys, like, that was a problem too. Also, Miami Miami's receivers couldn't get open in the first half either. Mm-hmm. So, a little strange that a Josh Gaddis scheme against Josh Gaddis Borrell's award winner last year, right? Like, not a bad coordinator to have, you know, on on your coaching staff, and he can't really get the most out of Tyler Van Dyke right now. It really makes you wonder. Yeah. I mean, this was this was like a total system failure yeah. for Miami. It really felt like. Um, I mean, the the offense they got they got pushed around on both sides of the ball by middle in this game. Um, they they couldn't really run the ball. They really really struggled in that aspect of the game. Uh, multiple bad bad blown coverages. Even if you look at the, the oh well, they they scored thirty one points. Like how bad could it have been on offense? Well, keep, they also ran a kickback right. for a touchdown. The offense is only responsible for twenty four of those points. Like. A um, couple of just absurd statistics. I saw from Cam's uh, State of the U dot com good, bad, and ugly article after this game. This brings Miami. <laughs> I I almost can't believe this is true. Miami all time against Middle Tennessee State. Do you do, do you know what their record I, I is don't. in this I, I series? Mike? I don't. Miami is now zero and three all time against Middle you Tennessee never. State. <laughs> they have played them. They've played them three times and they haven't they won yet. The Blue Raiders. I, how is that oh, possible? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, this game, absolute disaster for Miami. Absolute disaster. And that whole thing about, you know, sometimes Mario Cristobal teams seem to kind of throw a clunker. Uh, case in point, Exhibit A, right here. Uh, DJ England Chisholm's uh, status, or status, status, stats, whatever you want to call it, two for 169, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, efficient. I mean, <laughs> that's efficient. Efi- efficient is a yeah. good word for it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, y- again, between him and Jalen Lane, they had six catches for almost three hundred yards, meaning they averaged fifty yards a catch on six catches. Unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. It's very very forgettable afternoon for Miami and their fans. I would say it'll be a fun seven and five year for the Hurricanes. <laughs> yeah well you got acc play starting soon here miami so uh if you, if you want to salvage anything here that's a uh, gonna be your opportunity I, i'd say the conference is terrible so i think there's it's also 
you know, there are a couple of good teams, and then the rest are pretty trash. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. probably fair. There is a a back end of this conference that is underwhelming, and by to back say end, the least. it's more like two thirds um, end. <laughs> a lot of very flawed lot, teams, that's yeah, for sure. But let's let's yeah, we'll we'll get, keep yeah. going with that. Middle Tennessee forty five, number twenty five, Miami thirty one. Speaking of flawed teams, West Virginia 33, Virginia Tech 10. Mike, uh, this whole Grant Wells thing and this whole just yeah. offense thing in Blacksburg, not, not really working. Virginia Tech trailed Mm-mm. this game 16-10, to 10, start of the fourth quarter. They committed a, uh, a personal foul, a roughing the passer penalty on Dax Hollifield towards the end of the third quarter uh, to extend that drive. Then they committed a illegal hands-to-the-face call on uh, defensive tackle Norrell Pollard. Uh, there in the fourth quarter to extend the drive. And then West Virginia went ahead and scored, and that was pretty much all she wrote. Virginia Tech can't run the ball, right? Um, we could talk about the penalties all day long. Um, Virginia Tech had like 150 yards worth of penalties in this game. That's that's a major issue. That's the second time they've done that this year where they've had over 100 penalty yards in a game. Uh, the first, of course, coming in in the first loss of the year to Old Dominion. The bigger issue here is that the offensive line is so objectively terrible. They can't run the ball. There's no push. Bud Elliott tweeted this out. They had a 0% success rate running the football in the first half against West Virginia. West Virginia, pretty decent front, but they're not so good that you can't run the ball at all. So this is a Virginia Mm -hmm. Tech problem more than a West Virginia defense playing out of their mind up front. Um, That's not really what I was seeing Mm -hmm. in this game. Virginia Tech's offense is not very good right now. Like, that's the bottom line. Virginia Tech's Mm-mm. defense, I thought, played well. I mean, there's only so many times you can go back out there in the second half against all those playmakers and just expect to get stop after stop after stop after stop. Even that sequence I just I just discussed right there at the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter, where they had the two 15-yard penalties. Like, yeah, Virginia Tech's defense didn't come up clutch there when they absolutely needed a stop. But at the same time, like, even if Virginia Tech got a stop, was the offense going to score? Probably not. So, yeah. I mean, this is just a really bad Virginia Tech offense. I think, you know, the wins are going to come against teams in the back half of the schedule that don't play any defense. <laughs> and that's kind of how we handicapped it coming into the year. Now, this weekend against North Carolina should be pretty interesting. We'll talk about the Tar Heels here in a second. They don't play a lick of defense. Um, Notre Dame's offense wasn't any good, and they scored a million points on Saturday. So, you know, could Virginia Tech score right. on North Carolina? I guess we'll find out. Like, are they that bad they can't score on the Tar Heels? Uh, we'll find out, but... Yeah, this is a Virginia Tech offense. It's really, really flawed. Defense is good, but the defense can only take you so far when the offense literally cannot put the ball in the end zone. So that's kind of the takeaway here. Um, got to score some points. Got to cut down the penalties. Stop shooting yourselves in the foot. This team's not good enough right now to commit this many penalties. Expect to win football games. Yeah, yep. We were texting back and forth about it, and the idea is basically like there's very little about this offense that is particularly right. good. It's right. it's like, you know, the running backs are pretty good, but like the offensive line right. is so bad that you, there's just they have no chance. And Grant Wells not good at getting it to kind of a meh receiving core. Um there there is not a lot great about this Virginia Tech offense right now. And I think I think it's going to take time. I'll I'll be honest, you know, watching it schematically and some of the play calling, I, I was okay with it. I th- I think they're they're okay from a design standpoint. It's just they just can't execute it with the guys yeah, they got out no, there. That's it. And I, I think if they played a little bit better on the offensive line, I, I saw some Virginia Tech fans are blaming Joe Rudolph, who just came over from Wisconsin, blaming him, the offensive line coach. Yo, this is not a Joe Rudolph problem. This is a Virginia Tech not yeah. having the dudes up front problem. <laughs> that's the issue. And even like. Right. I, we can talk about Grant Wells. Like, no, he has not been great. But, like, if the offensive line plays, like, 
even like 25% better. I, th- I think we feel a lot better about things offensively for Virginia Tech, even with a mediocre quarterback and suspect playmakers. So that's kind of where we're at here. Yeah. I mean, quarterback has been a sticking point for Virginia Tech for you know most of the time since Fuente right. came in and, and since Gerard. Uh, oh, Gerard Evans. Yeah, that was the name. Thank you. Ever since Gerard left, but – even still, there's there's still been some semblance of a run game, but you can't have that if the offensive line is is in this current shape that yep. it's in. So, I think that's the real sticking 100%. point here. Yeah, Want to move on, Mike? West Virginia thirty three, Virginia Tech ten. Mountaineers keeping the Black Diamond Trophy. Uh, is that what they that call is. it? They're gonna keep Nailed it for a while sweet. too. There is not a game scheduled between these two teams for a long, long time. We can get into that another time, but that's really frustrating. Yeah, we need to talk about that at some point, but it's very much a thing in my mind of college football is better when West Virginia is playing Pittsburgh and when West Virginia is playing yep. Virginia Tech and when Oklahoma plays Nebraska and right. on and on and on. But we'll, again, yep. we'll get into that later. Um, before we get into this next game, real quick, we need to remind you about Section103.com. Things not great at Georgia Tech right now. Things are always great at Section103.com. They've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, something for the entire family, men, women, and children. Uh, they've got things with the official tech gold. They've got the all the official word marks and logos, including the ATL logo. They've got some stickers if you want to make your computer or your car look really cool and, and show your support for Georgia Tech that way. Uh, those are great options as well. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at section103.com. As we sit here speaking, I am not currently wearing a Section 103 shirt. That's because the one I was wearing earlier today was uh, covered in spit-up. After fatherly duties, but I do believe that it was that shirt that really finally made the influence to get Jeff Collins fired. So I, I think everybody wins because of me wearing my Section 103. You will win when you wear your Section 103 as well. If you want to show Georgia Tech that you still support them, especially now more than ever, go to Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order, Mike. Lucy said Jeff Collins is still the coach. <laughs> Here's what I think about that. Nope. Notre Dame, 45, North Carolina, 32. I, I forgot to use this phrase in the preview, but this was very much the stoppable force versus the movable object. And the object got moved, the object Mike. Moved. North Carolina's defense can't, e- can't even hold up to a really underwhelming Notre Dame offense as they rack up almost 500 yards in this game. Uh, sorry, 576 yards, almost 600 yards, and 45 points. Uh, that's, that's pretty gross. And I, North Carolina, what are we doing here? I mean, they legitimately can't play a lick of defense. I mean, that's that's bottom line. Like none at all. I mean, they can't play any defense. This is legitimately one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. Um, it's certainly one of the worst defenses I think maybe we've ever talked about on this podcast in the seven years we've been doing this. And I thought I was joking kind of with that, but I I think I'm serious. Like, I can't name a defense that's been worse than this that I've watched. This is horrible. I mean, they don't tackle anybody. Well, and Go ahead, Joey. Certainly, can you name a worse defense that has this level of, like, recruiting talent right. on it? Like, it should be better by I mean, now. they got four stars all over the defense, and they can't tackle anybody. They can't cover anybody. I mean, this was – if it weren't for Miami – just throwing up all over themselves, uh, spitting up, if you will, all over themselves uh, yesterday. 
<laughs> we would be talking a lot more about how bad Carolina was. I mean, th- this is unbelievable. Notre Dame's offense has been so bad this year. They can't move the ball. They can't run it. They can't throw it. They did both of those things on Saturday and did them both very well against this Carolina defense. There was a yeah. point in the first quarter where I think Notre Dame was averaging like two and a half yards per play. And uh, they adjusted, and Carolina didn't defensively. So, yeah, Carolina's defense is a total mess. Offense is fine, uh, but they ran into a good Notre Dame defense yesterday where, you know, when they fell behind, it was going to be tough for them to really continue to put the pressure on the way they needed to offensively. And um, Notre Dame's defense has been good all year, and the offense just hasn't really caught up to them. And they caught up yesterday, and it shows kind of what kind of team Notre Dame could be, you know, when they're kind of firing on all cylinders. It just may take playing against a defense like North Carolina to see that happening. So, I mean, this is a Mm -hmm, Carolina mm -hmm. defense that's really, really bad. It really caps their ceiling, obviously. has me asking a ton of questions about Mac Brown moving forward because now you have multiple defensive coordinators that just are not working out. I mean, this is going worse than Jay Bateman somehow some way even with like their base scheme just kind of getting a little bit more simplistic they're still really really bad defensively so this this is a mess for carolina man that's that's my big takeaway like defensively they got to figure it out their offense is fine they got plenty of playmakers like antoine green had a couple nice plays yesterday drake may still looks pretty good throwing the football it's not about the offense man Mm -hmm. the defense is just so so bad yep yeah this offense is plenty good enough for them to win a lot of games and if they just had like an average or slightly above average defense, I mean, they'd be clearly one of the three best teams in the ACC. Like they they would be really, really good. And it's this defense that's going to let them down a lot. Um, Obviously you mentioned the the switch from Jay Bateman to Gene Chizik. That hasn't really made a difference at all that I can tell. Um, Just, ah, man, it's just frustrating watching how North Carolina just tries to play. Um, So I don't know. <sighs> Notre Dame 45, North Carolina 32. Mike, anything else? You ready to move on? Uh, yeah, let's definitely move on. Let's talk about the actual game of the day in the ACC. Kansas 35, Duke 27. Blue Devils almost got it done. I'm telling you, man, Kansas, a little bit of a buzzsaw here. Uh, Jalen Daniels, that dude can play. Uh, he is good, but once again, I thought Duke acquitted themselves really well. I was really concerned about Duke's um, the strength of schedule coming in and whether they were going to be able to you know, actually make it translate from what it was against Temple and NCA&T and the like to this game against Kansas. But they did. I mean, they played with Kansas all afternoon, and it was close when it came down to the end. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Daniels is a ball player, right? Duke didn't really have an answer for him all afternoon. That's kind of where this game was lost for Duke. I mean, they... You know, you can't fall behind early against this Kansas offense, and that's something that, you know, Duke did, right? I mean, they go into halftime trailing, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Kansas is rolling offensively. I mean, Jalen Daniels had four touchdowns through the air. He had one on the ground. He had 83 yards rushing, 324 passing. Like, he's very, very good at quarterback, and Kansas has been missing a quarterback like that for quite some time, and they're, you know, really running the ball well right now, too. I mean, they come out of Saturday's game with over 200 yards rushing. They were very balanced offensively. You know, Duke's offense, I thought, played well here. Riley Leonard, once again, was pretty impressive, threw for over 300 yards and a touchdown, took care of the football once again, added 54 yards on the ground. It was just kind of a matter of Duke's defense not being able to hold up consistently answering the call against, 
you know, a really, really good Kansas offense right now um, that's kind of beating the hell out of everybody, yep. right? I mean, they're scoring on everybody right now. So, I mean, I think Duke just kind of ran to a buzzsaw offensively here. But, I, you know, if I'm a Duke fan, I come out of this game pretty encouraged, right? Like, Kansas is firing on all cylinders. It, it sounds ridiculous because it is Kansas, and they've had, like, this track record recently where they've been, like, one of the worst teams in the FBS. But they're not anymore, and they have a really good offense. And despite all that, you were right in the game, you know, with a chance to win it, right? So, if I'm a Duke fan, mm-hmm. I'm pretty encouraged, especially year one under Elko. Like, you were not expected to be, you know, this good. You also were not expecting Kansas to be this good, right? So, this was kind of one of the games you had circled. If you were a Duke fan, thinking, oh, man, we're going to go through the schedule, and I'm not sure how many wins are going to be. We better beat Kansas. But now I think if you're Duke, you're like, well, we didn't beat Kansas. That's okay. Not sure that we should have which is a crazy thing to say yeah. now, kind of a few weeks into the year, but that's kind of where we're at. I thought Duke had, like, 0-12 on the table. Um, I, I thought there was a chance for them to be that bad. Right. And again, not on Mike Elko, just, you know, it, it, recruiting had kind of tailed off under Cutcliffe, and you had some changeover of some of the personnel, and then obviously bringing in a new coaching staff, it was like, okay, this might right. not go well at all. I'm looking at it now, Mike. Duke might make Absolutely. a bowl game. Like... Like, not only just what they've been so far, but you look at what, what's left on their schedule. There's, like, four very winnable games left on there, and that's before they upset somebody else, like a Miami or a North Carolina that doesn't doesn't really show up to play them on a given day. I mean, they look good Absolutely. right now, like, way better than I thought Absolutely. they would. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, especially if you look at, like, the bottom half of the ACC right now, like, if you considered, still consider Duke to be, like, one of the bottom-tier teams in the ACC, you're, that's probably one of the teams you don't want to play, right? If you're trying to make a bowl game, do you want to play against Duke right now? Like, if you're Virginia Tech, for example, like, Virginia Tech is sitting here now 2-2. Two and two. They have a really tough October, but they have four, like, quote-unquote, winnable games at the end of the year. But one of those is Duke. Like, I don't think Duke's a winnable game for Virginia Tech anymore. Do you want, really want to see Duke when you're trying to make a bowl game? I wouldn't. Their next two games are against Virginia and at Georgia Tech. Which of those games can't they win? I, they might be favored in both of them. I don't know what the early line is on the UVA. They might be favored right. in them both, yeah. So, good on Duke, man. I, I realize this is a loss, and that's not great, especially when you go up against Kansas, who you thought you'd be able to beat coming into the year. But, again, it's let's let's use some context on Kansas, too. They've looked really good so far. Um, so, no no shame on that, Duke, and kind of where this is. I, I, I think there's a, sh- a shot for Duke to go bowling at this point. If if they can keep doing what they're doing and if it translates again against all the competition they're oh, yeah. going to see. Kansas 35, Duke 27. Let's keep going. Back to Friday night, Mike. The Syracuse Orange 22, Virginia 20. Um, this game was Off a mess. And I, I'm i trying to think of how to describe it. And really, I think the best that I can do there's a there's a Twitter account that we like to follow. Uh, it's uh, let me check and see. It's at Sean Tucker 2020. Um, I think he can describe this game for us best. Says Friday we won Syracuse 22, Virginia 20. I'm pleased with the outcome of the game. We made mistakes, but we are four and zero. I'm not pleased with my performance, but I'm doing my part to help the team win. The grind never stops, nor will number 34. I rushed for 60 yards and five receptions for 45 yards. Hashtag, I'm just going to, I'm thinking he's saying pleased, which is an interesting uh, hashtag. Good job, Sean. Good, good summary of the game. I don't know if I could say it any better than that. Well, I mean, the one thing I would say is, uh, you know, good for Sean Tucker, I guess. But the one thing I would say on the flip side is like, 
you know, I think UVA should just simply, like, make some field goals. Just, you know. I mean, either if either of these teams would bother, like, finishing drives, <laughs> it would really help. And Andre Andre Smite was 5 for 5 kicking field goals. This wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement of Syracuse's offense ability to punch the ball in the end zone. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they scored a touchdown on their first drive of the game. They did not get into the end yeah. zone after that. So. That was a good first score, and you know what? I mean, that was almost – I think that was a third and goal play by Garrett Schrader, too, and it kind of took a while to develop, and it was kind of a broken play. They scrambled in the end zone on. Like, this wasn't exactly a, like, sterling offensive performance by Syracuse at all. Yeah. Virginia had their issues, too. They missed a pair of field goals to open the game. Um, uh, this, was, this was such a weird game. It was 16 to nothing Syracuse at halftime. Virginia gets the ball out of halftime, comes out and goes down 10, 10 plays, 75 yards, scores a touchdown. On the ensuing kickoff, there's a fumble. Syracuse uh, fumbles the ball, and Virginia falls on it and gets a two-play, 13-yard touchdown drive. So all of a sudden, now it's 16-13, and we're like five minutes into the second half. Um, I don't know. There was another turnover later by Virginia, an interception, a pretty bad one, too, if memory serves. Yeah. Um, this game was was really messy. I am still not convinced that Virginia is really particularly any good. Um, they're a little better at running the ball than they were in previous years, but whatever was working the last couple years for Robert and I and Brennan Armstrong is not working right now for uh, Des Kitchings and, and and Brennan Armstrong. No, I mean, Des Kitchings, the OC, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. They got to they got to go back and kind of look at the look at the tape, right from you know, past Virginia teams. Like, I don't know, last year's Virginia team that put up a bunch of points offensively. Like, maybe go back and look at what they were doing well and maybe kind of, I don't know, think about enacting, like, some of those plays into your playbook because right now UVA can't do anything, like, consistently under Brian Armstrong. It's just not working out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, the uh, and I, we, we're still working, workshopping a uh, clever name for the uh, the advanced metrics right. here. But Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker, 35 combined carries plus five receptions for Sean Tucker. There were only a grand total of 60 Syracuse plays that ended in a non-incomplete pass. 40 out of 60 end in Sean Tucker or Garrett Schrader's hands. That's actually kind of low for them. So credit to them for spreading the ball around a little bit. Uh, Aranda Gadsden uh, had a, a, a pretty big night for Syracuse in, in the passing game. Seven catches for 107 yards. He was good. Otherwise, it's it's just the sh- the, the the Schrader Tucker show here in uh, in the JMA Wireless Dome. So I, it seems like people are starting to catch on a little bit. But Syracuse is four and zero. So what you know? What can I say? Uh, they're certainly not zero and three like our uh, Adam Sandler clip that we've played in the past. So this this step in the right direction here. <laughs> it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade. Um, yeah. So I, really messy win. I think Syracuse was was the better team, but was kind of lucky not to lose it. Honestly, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was this was very winnable for UVA. I can understand why their fans are really frustrated here. Winnable, you know, in a lucky, like not that repeatable way. Yeah. I would say, yeah. <laughs> like turning the ball over, missing field goals, things like that. There's is not not super winnable, but at the same, I mean, it was a one score game. So yeah, they had a shot. So, um, think that's all I got. Oh, and uh, by the way, yeah, Syracuse does hit a field goal. Virginia had the lead, uh, in the fourth quarter they, they went up 20 to 19 and then Syracuse goes down and kicks a field goal with, 
Uh, about a minute left. I mean, Syracuse so. got off to a hot start. In that was all she wrote. Virginia battles back into it and then had multiple opportunities to really kind of win the game, just couldn't do it. So just makes it extra funny, you know? Yep. It was a mess. Syracuse 22, Virginia 20. A few more here, Mike. Uh, we can kind of quickly Absolutely. go through these. Uh, Louisville 41, South Florida 3. This was a blowout from start to finish. It was 28 to nothing at halftime. Malik Cunningham has one of those days where he kind of looks like Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought South Florida would be a little bit more competitive after how they looked in the swamp, but I was incorrect. Yeah, they they had nothing for Louisville in this game. Um, Louisville just sat on him all day. It took until the fourth quarter for South Florida to even get on the uh, get on the board with a field goal, and it was one of those kind of sad field goals where you're down thirty-one to nothing. You're just trying to avoid the shutout. Yeah, I just di- didn't go great. I was very wrong about this. So I'll not at all. Here. Yep, quite all right. Uh, Louisville forty-one, South Florida three. Uh, to Tallahassee, where Florida State 44, Boston College 14. Florida State looks good, man. Florida State looking like a little bit of a wagon. Boston College looking like it is going to be a long, long year. The Florida State wagon, BC, wheels have fallen off the wagon. They are bad. They're bad. Mm -hmm. We had a couple of emails that came in. uh, Sorry, we had one email that came in in particular from Kevin Carpenter, who you might remember from our Tell Us About Your Team series. Um, he was asking about the uh, the feasibility or the, you know, I guess what does the future look like basically under uh, one Jeff Halfley. We don't really have time to go through that on this episode tonight, but if we get a little bit of time in the preview, we, we might want to visit and, and kind of look into what Kevin was saying a little bit because he is not in a good place right now with where this Boston College team is. Oh, no. I mean, this is... I mean, we talked about the offensive line being bad, but, like, their defense isn't really that good either. Um, Phil Dracovic doesn't really have time to throw. Like, Zay Flowers is his only weapon. In the past, that's worked out because your offensive line's been able to block long enough. Now it's just not kind of working out that way. BC's a mess. Like, this might be, like, a a three- or four-win season for them. They're going to have to reevaluate Jeff Halfley and kind of that that era. I mean, I don't think his job's in jeopardy or anything like that yet, but – we kind of have to think a little bit more about what this is going to look like here and whether or not he's a guy to lead BC moving forward. I mean, you say it's going to be a three to four win season. They have a game left at UConn that I'll pick them to win. Other than that, they're going to be like a double digit underdog in every other game left. I mean, which of these games even can they win right now? Louisville Clemson at Wake Forest, at UConn, home against Duke. At NC State, at Notre Dame, home against Syracuse. They'll beat UConn, and that, that might, might be, be it. it. And yeah, I mean, maybe Yikes. maybe Syracuse end of the year. You can ugly that game up a little bit. I don't know, though. Yeah, who knows what Syracuse right. will be at that point. But, I mean, Boston College, you just look at this. They were down 31 to nothing at halftime, and they only had, a, like, a couple of drives where they were able to even get a first down. So... Not a good situation there. Very good situation in Tallahassee. I think not only you know is there some coaching kind of coming into play, but there's also some some confidence. I think that they're playing with um, Jordan Travis. By the way, he came in and played this game. We weren't sure if he was going to be able to. He he just casually goes sixteen to twenty six for three twenty one and a touchdown. Um, he he looked good through the air. Florida State just had it all rolling on offense. So uh, they they look good. I, I think they are certainly headed to a bowl game this year. 
and who knows? You know, the ceiling might the, the ceiling might be the limit. The sky might be the limit for Florida State. Um, they, they've got some tough games up ahead, but they, they they should be able to win a lot of games with the way that they're playing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jordan Travis came back. Everybody was worried about how he was going to look after his injury. He came out and looked great. So, I mean, I think they can kind of you know Florida State fans can kind of put that fear behind them a little bit as far as like, all right, how healthy mm-hmm. actually is he? He looked healthy to me. Um, he looked comfortable back there. Of course, playing BC, I think, can do that, too. Um, but they're able to get him a little bit of rest in the second half, too, which is always helpful. Quick question before we move off of this game. And I, and I will ask this just to bring it back down to earth just a little bit. Who is Florida State's best win so far? Is it Duquesne? Is it LSU? Is it Louisville? Or is it Boston College? I think the obvious answer is LSU, right. but how good is LSU? I mean, that's, that's really the whole point here is... Florida State has not really played a murderer's row, despite what the helmet logos might say so far. But I'll tell you what, I mean, who's left that inspires a lot of fear? If you're Florida State, you look at what Miami just, you know, struggled with defensively. Like, you worry mm-hmm. about that Miami game as much now? Probably not. Um, I mean, Clemson is the obvious answer. But, I mean, Florida's kind of been up and down, right? So, but in ACC play, like, who are you worried about? You know, I think going into the year, like we're looking at Atlantic Division opponents, we're thinking, okay, you know, Florida State's probably battling with who? Like NC State. NC State would be a team, right? They're battling with what? NC State, BC, Louisville to like kind of jockey in position for like second or third spot in the Atlantic. Now you're really only concerned about what? Florida State, NC State, and then maybe Miami in conference play? I'm sorry, I meant Clemson, NC State, and then maybe Miami. Like, who? I'm laughing because I'm looking at their schedule and their next three games. Home against number 22, Wake. At number 10, NC State. Home against number 5, Clemson. Those are the next three games. We're going to learn a lot here over the next three weeks. A lot. And they have no bye weeks. Right. That, that's that's the next three weekends is what they're doing. And then they get a bye week, and then they get the murderer's row of Georgia Tech uh, under Brent Key's leadership. We'll see how that goes. Uh, all right. 44-14, Florida State beats Boston College. Uh, NC State, the number 12 Wolfpack, they're going to move up to number 10 in the polls. Number 12, NC State, 41, UConn, 10. This game, I think there was a, a bit of a bad beat situation here late as UConn scores a touchdown with two minutes left in the game. Uh, it was 41-3, to and they, uh, they made it 41-10. to So uh, congrats to me. I picked UConn and was rewarded for it in our picks. You're a sick bastard because this game had no business actually covering. <laughs> so this is just disgusting. It was pretty gross. Yeah, disgusting. Um, NC State looked good. They, you know, they. I think there were a couple of uh, potential injury concerns here. I, I think there were. You know, again, you're trying to stay healthy for next week when you go to right. Death Valley. Uh, but I, I think there were a couple injury injury concerns. We'll see if there's um, any. You know, worrisome stuff that comes out this week. I know that uh, Demi Suba Karngbe was one that uh, left this game, and and I don't know if they just held him out for precautionary reasons or what it was. But we'll keep keep updated on the uh, the injury report for NC State as they go into the game of the year next week. We'll see what happens. They got to have as many people healthy for that game as possible, given the way Clemson just looked. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, sure do, sure do. NC State forty one, UConn ten. Last one, Mike Pitt. The number 24, Pitt Panthers, 45, Rhode Island, 24. Uh, this game was not always easy for Pitt. Uh, there was there were a number of issues that they had, but Keaton Slovis comes back. 
he goes 20 of 27 for 189 yards. Not the most efficient, but um, he was able to get out there and play the whole game, which is a good sign. So, um, you know, a win's a win. You won by three touchdowns. Not a big deal, but not the cleanest performance. So uh, maybe a couple things you'll learn about yourself if you're pit from this weekend. Wasn't too competitive at all, really. I mean... It was never in doubt. No. I mean, not even close. So, I mean, good win. This is a game that's hard to get up for, you know, especially kind of who Pittsburgh's played lately. I mean, this is this is a hard one. To, you know, well, you, you play Tennessee, you got to get up for Rhode Island, right? I mean, give me a break. Yep, yep. Pitt finishes out of conference play 3-1, and one, meaning the prophecy – was accurate when they said that Pitt will never go undefeated in, in out-of-conference play. They, once again, have lost an out-of-conference game. That was to Tennessee a couple weeks ago, by the way. I realized that we hadn't really brought that up in a couple of weeks, so I felt right. like the need to uh, remind Sneak everyone of that. That's right. That's right. Mike, that's all I've got on ACC action, unless we want to go to uh, Bowling Green. <laughs> Bowling Green got, got mopped by Mississippi State, so I think we could just, yeah. Skip over that real quick. Mississippi State 45, Bowling Green 14. Uh, I'm not even sure if they count as an ACC team this weekend because Scott Leffler wasn't even there. He was like had like a health something or other that kept him at home in Bowling Green. So uh, good on you, Eagles. You almost got there, Falcons. I mean, that Falcons. Is, I, first of all, hope everything's okay with Scott Leffler. Second of all, like that's most mm-hmm. certainly why they lost because he wasn't there. That's right. Yeah, very, uh, very much a value add coach. That Scott Leffler. So if he were there, that would have made all the difference. Yeah, that, that hire has always made sense. So <laughs> for any institution that hires right. him, yes, right. Um, <laughs> Mike, uh, are we ready to give out some awards Let's, that we haven't really talked about? So we're just going to do it live. Shoot it from the hip, baby. Let's do it. The Go ACC moment of the week. We this is one of those things we texted back and forth. We there are some weeks where it's like we have like no idea what to do, how we're going to do this. Then there's other weeks like this one where it's like, how do we pick just one? Do we go to Thursday night when Virginia Tech tries to throw a pass and it goes right off the guy's face mask? That was a fun one. Better throws of the night by Grant Wells. It was a great throw. It was on target, and my guy was looking right at it, and I don't know what he saw or didn't see, but, well, he definitely didn't see the ball, or I assume he didn't see the ball. Maybe he did and just was going for the highlight reel there. I don't know. Just really, really not ideal. I mean, that would have been a pretty important third-down conversion for Virginia Tech, and uh, just simply Mm -hmm. Jaden Blue just, I don't know if you couldn't see it or what, but doink. Yeah, stoink. Uh, we could also go to Louisville Saturday morning when uh, Malik Cunningham scores like his third touchdown of the game. Gets a little uh, a little excited running through the end zone and gets caught up in the field goal net. <laughs> that that was a thing that happened. I mean, I mean good God, man. I mean, can't even pay attention, right? I mean, what are we doing? That was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think there was another one. I'm looking for what it was. We're going to find it and, and be upset about it, but... Um, I don't remember. Do you remember what the third one was, no, Mike? Those were the two primary ones. We kept running out of options. I mean, just yeah. too many to count this week. But those were the primary two. Those were good ones. Uh, Mike, the 
Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. I think it goes to the Miami secondary or the Clemson secondary. Like, not a good week for coverage I mean, this week. If you're going to rank him, I guess you put Miami's defense up there first, their secondary, for allowing like a 98-yard touchdown pass, uh, a couple like 89, 69, a 69. Three or four different touchdown receptions over 60 yards. You know, you had one guy go for two for 169 yeah. and two scores. I mean, come on. Again, you uh, you made Bubba Cunningham look like friggin' Peyton Manning out there. Uh, yeah, incredible, yes. incredible. Good job. You tried. <laughs> you tried. <That's> right. <laughs> you tried. Uh, Mike, do we have a Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week award? I mean, it could be Virginia Tech's running game as a whole. Um, I, I mean, oh, yeah, was that was yikes. Just not very good. I'd have to go back and look at like, the total yard stats, but it, just, it wasn't good. I mean, I think their leading rusher had like 16 yards. Not, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. Yeah, Jalen Holston four for, four for eighteen. Keyshawn King six ca- Keyshawn King six carries for two <laughs> yards or four yards. Sorry, that might that might qualify. Yeah, that's, that's opposite. Might qualify. That's right. That's right. Uh, Mike, I think that's all we got for those types of awards. Do you have a uh, team of the week? <laughs> yeah, uh, Middle Tennessee State. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue. Raiders. Uh, but actually Clemson. Ooh, wow, going uh going mainstream yeah, on that Clemson. one. I uh, I had something for this. I thought about Florida State. I feel like I've gone Florida State every for week. Um, How about Georgia mm-hmm. Tech for playing poorly enough to get their coach fired? <laughs> just yep. just do it. They just did it. We we yep. knew it was happening and they finally got it done. That was, a, that was a good accomplishment. They yes. got the coach fired. All right, yeah, Georgia Tech yeah. team of the week. They win the ultimate prize, a new football coach. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, player of the week, I was tempted to go Big Cinco and Sam Hartman. Basically, both quarterbacks put on a clinic in that game, and especially for Big Cinco. I mean, that guy, as bad as he's looked at times in the last year plus, I, I thought he was really sharp on Saturday, so credit to him. Uh, yeah, that's a candidate. My other candidate was just going to be Jordan Travis, just considering his health coming into the game, you know, throwing for 321 yards in that game against Boston College. Um, Jordan Travis is my is my pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, DJU is the obvious guy this week, but I think if you're kind of looking for a guy outside the box, I'd go with Jordan Travis just considering his health all week coming into the game. Super gutsy performance yeah, sure. from him, Look for sure. Okay. I'll take it. I'll allow Beautiful. it. Mike? That's all I got on week four, I think. Anything else? Efficient podcast this week. You have to feed your kid. That is correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding out that she is awake, and I assume that she's right. hungry. So I'm going to go rectify that situation. Also, I'm pretty confident I've said it week three at least once or twice during this That's podcast. Okay. So look forward to having uh, producer Scott edit, edit that one out. The, ki- the kid's starving because we're taking too long. So, yeah. Child neglect. That's right. That's right. <laughs> go, go ACC, ACC to that, yeah, that uh, Mike let's say, get out Go ACC moment of the week <laughs> That's right That's right Mike let's get out of here uh, We're going to come back And preview week five Later this week In the meantime They can find us on Twitter I'm at FTRS Joey He is at Mike McDaniel SI Together we're at BC Podcast ACC You can find us on iTunes And Spotify All the good places You go find podcasts Go find us there Hit subscribe And, and, and rate us And YouTube. all those good Thanks, things Scott. Uh, We're on YouTube 
yeah, go go look up YouTube. Yeah, Scott with a reminder there. Thank you. Making us way better every day. Um, what would this show be without Scott at this point? Um, we are, you know, you can send us comments, questions, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Uh, we have multiple of those. Uh, as mentioned, we had one from Kevin Carpenter. We have a couple from uh, Keith Derrick on the Jeff Collins firing. So, again, we'll get there later this week or you know, whenever we have the availability. But it's been, uh, you know, timing's been a little tight lately. So we'll, we'll get there yep. as quick as we can. Mike, where else can they find Facebook, us on social media? Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Joey. Please Some do. Please do. Please do. Um, and we have something else coming your way, by the way. Um, there is a, a little bit of a, a potential website, so keep it tuned here. We'll have something for you maybe here in the next few weeks or month or so. So oh, keep yeah. it tuned here. Do it. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else for, for tonight before we come back and preview week five? No, I think we're good. Big week five ahead, Joey. Big week five. That's right. Multiple really yeah. big games. It's going to be a fun week, so uh, keep yep. it tuned here. All right. Mike, have a good week. Maybe feed your kid in the meantime, too. I don't know. All the kids need feeding. This is what I'm told. Yeah, starve the kids. It builds character. <laughs> That's the spirit. On that note, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. But until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.